Welcome to the Jersey Arts Podcast. I'm Susan Walmer. Today I'm at the Morris Museum visiting two immersive, interactive audio installations by composer John Morton. Right now you're listening to fever songs. Spiritual songs from many different religions are altered by computer processing controlled by motion-activated sensors. As you move through the space, closer or further from the sensors, you become part of the music. Um, that's a sensor pole there that has the ping sensors. And it basically bounces sound off, high frequency sound off of whatever body is in here. So as you enter, you'll, it'll start to change. So basically when people come in here, they probably start figuring out what can I do to make exactly, it change. Exactly. One right? thing that you can do that's very obvious is if you go like this. Put your hands around the sensors. Sort of around them like this at the edge. It holds, they'll become held sounds, sustained sounds. The composer, John Morton, is here with me today, along with visual artist Jacqueline Schatz. They've collaborated on the second of the two sound installations here at the Morris Museum, with Jacqueline, or Jackie, providing a visual element for the piece inspired by Charles Darwin, called The Voyage Out. John and Jackie, thanks for being here today. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Jackie, can you begin by describing a bit about the inspiration for the voyage out and also the visual element that you've created for it? Sure. I read a lot, and I read Charles Darwin's Voyage of the Beagle and other things about him. And I was inspired at the time I was doing a lot of sculptures with collage elements, and the ideas and the visual images that came to me when I was reading, as they often do, of going out on this voyage of discovery, which is kind of like creating an art piece anyway, and gathering a bunch of natural objects and experiences and visual experiences and then putting them together in a spontaneous and unpredictable way was something that I could totally relate to in Darwin's Voyage of the Beagle. So Jackie, you created a visual boat, a ship, a collaged kind of metaphorical ship, but it, it does look like a ship, and it's on an ocean of, of, a, of a type, and it has knobs that you can actually wind. What happens when you do that? So. The boat itself is actually a model that we sent away for of the Beagle, a plastic boat, but it's completely collage and covered with paint and collage. And the waves are transparent material that have wires underneath. And when you turn the keys, the wires move, and the cloth, the transparent collage that's attached to it, moves with the wires to give a kind of rolling effect. And the boat, which is on a wiffle ball, sort of funkily put together, moves also in a kind of swaying motion. Darwin was seasick from this voyage and for the rest of his life. And actually, I think when I watch that piece, it makes me a little seasick as well. 
He was seasick for the rest of his life? Yeah, he had severe stomach problems. Now, that could have been a little bit emotionally, had a lot of tension coming out with this revolutionary work against God that his wife was not in favor of, and it took him actually a long time to have the courage to come out with that. There was a lot of tension with that, but actually on the voyage itself, he became intensely seasick, and he never fully recovered from that. Now, whether that was psychological, maybe he picked up a parasite, I don't know. John, what are the elements that you contributed to the voyage out, and how do they relate to Jackie's work? Right. Well, we were not so interested in the outcome of his final work as much as the voyage itself. Uh, just imagining him going out and getting on a ship as a young man, going to this place that he'd only heard about and spending months and a full year, I think, discovering this place. And so he didn't write the book then, he just created lists and observations. So the texts that we use are taken from his journals, uh, packing lists, observations that he made. So they're little tiny clips of these sounds and they sort of come in almost a dreamlike way. They appear randomly as the boat rotates. Tops of the trees and lumen. Scenery of the Beagle Channel, the Jenny Buttons country. And then they disappear or loop or they'll reflect, have an echo reflection. Sort of the, the sense that I was aiming for is when you're on a boat, it's hard to hear things. The boat is moving. Everything is sort of revolving. You have no control over anything. And yet you've got this determined research that you want to do. Into a near this fish with its flabby skin is well known to possess the singular power it was just my impression of what that world must have been like. So there's an element of production that goes into this. You have um, people reading text, or you, and then you also find sounds, and you mix them all right. up together. Right. Yeah, some of the sounds we were actually able to get of the actual birds that he, like the, what's it, the Darwin finch? The Darwin finch. And some penguins and other things like that. You could, there's an ornithology, Cornell Ornithology Lab has freely download these sounds, so I did, took advantage of that. I would have liked to go to the Galapagos, but that just wasn't in the cards. Other sounds I recorded, waves, you know, wave sounds, ship sounds that I had done for other sound installations that I've recorded live, I used those. So any sounds that were sort of indicative of what I thought that sound world must have been like. It's so interesting because you have these two pieces, they are connected because turning the one of the knobs does start part of the audio. Jackie, what do you feel like it adds to the work to have, to have this audio or oral element? I think it extends it into the space. The sound is out in the space, so it comes out of this object, and then 
you're in a larger space and the sound is in the larger space. So it's a thing that surrounds your body rather than being in your visual field. And it's kind of like an imaginary journey. So you have different sensory input part of that journey. It's not just a visual thing, it's an audio thing. Maybe we could add smell of the ocean later or have little pomades. Also, right, getting to all the senses. Yeah, right. But also, it's an automaton. It actually falls within the tradition of creating music boxes and automatons, which at Darwin's time, that was the main form of home entertainment. That was the iPad or iPod iPhone of that era. Of course, here we are at the Morris Museum, which has a very, very famous collection, the Guinness Collection of Mechanical Musical Instruments and Automata. How do you see your work, or do you see your work as being in that tradition, and what, what, what is an automaton? I see it as being very much in that tradition and something that one could have in a drawing room at that time. So it has the time element. Is it of this time, or could it have been a lot of automatons were from an earlier time, but it's sort of bringing that forward of the music box. So it's very connected to have something moving that's mechanical, that has sound and music box. I also think it's a mechanical fascination. You know, how, like if you look at the ones that are in the Guinness collection, I mean, they just go wilder and wilder and wilder until it's like, how can this possibly be happening? I think they were really trying to take the technology as far as they could. And I think, you know, our technology is we're using very simple music boxes to run these things, but the computer technology, because all of this stuff goes through a computer and gets manipulated, is what would be the equivalent for back then for the technology that they use. This is current technology, and it's always changing, and people are always contributing to it. So it's high-tech and sort of pre-tech right. at the same time. I think when you look at an automaton or the voyage out, you're sort of suspending your belief for a moment and you look at it and you can feel like it's a real thing moving for a minute. Like sometimes you see a little monkey playing a drum and it seems almost like it's alive. How did the idea for creating this sort of like 21st century music boxes or whatever it is, how did that start? How did this collaboration begin? Well, it's very concrete. I was invited to be in a show and to create a toy. I did sculptures of figures, of, of empty dresses of figures, and I decided, I said to John, well, I need to make a toy, let's do a music box. It was natural for me to have a figure and for John to start to make it into a music box, although initially he said, I hate music boxes. The thing about music boxes is that, I mean, I initially really, and I still sort of like, there's part of me that, like, it's creepy, music boxes are kind of creepy. And I was a classically trained composer writing orchestral works and piano works, and when Jackie said this to me, I really, you know, rebelled against it. But then she said, well, why don't you make your own music box? And I said, well, that's an interesting idea. And I like playing, doing stuff with my hands. So I got some cheap music boxes and you know, tried hammering them and then sticking a screwdriver in them and seeing what happens. 
Finally, I figured out the mechanics of it and discovered that when I had one or two or three going at the same time, it could actually be quite beautiful. And it was actually getting a lot closer to what I was trying to do in music than working with note-by-note -note procedures. So you're, you're saying that you, used, you kind of created a random situation or a, a, one that where you couldn't completely predict what was going to happen. Right. I invited randomness into my life. Right, and so that I mean that is your um, hallmark as a composer, I guess. Um, one reviewer says that your passion is to make musical connections between unintentional events. How would you describe what what it is that you do? Um, well, I guess I'm always noticing and hearing things that are that I would assume if people, if they paid attention, would hear. But things like. Um, if you're walking across a creaky floor, you know, how, how does the weight change? How does your direction change? Can you actually play the floor? What other sounds? Is there a dishwasher going on at the same time? So these are the sort of things that I find really exciting that most people would say, oh, these are just happen to be coincidences. Well, no, they're not. They're actually intentional things that are happening. And if you pay attention to them, they become vivid. They become vivid. So that's sort of, you know, that's just where my mind goes. I can't stop it. It's not like, oh, I've got to be serious now. No, this is how my mind works. But when much frightened, they squirt a drop of fluid from each nostril. What a good name that cape has. Indeed, it will be one of good hope when the beagle passes its bluff head. Interrupted by Thank you, John and Jackie, for talking with me today. My pleasure. It's great. Thanks for coming. Indeed. When this was finished, the interactive installation The Voyage Out by John Morton and Jacqueline Schatz will be at the Morris Museum in Morristown, New Jersey, through February 24th, along with John's audio installation. Fever Songs. For more, visit morrismuseum.org. A special thank you to the Morris Museum for having us today. For more about all of the arts in New Jersey, visit jerseyarts.com. I'm Susan Wallner with the Jersey Arts Podcast. Thanks for listening. The Jersey Arts Podcast is made possible by the New Jersey State Council on the Arts supporting excellence and engagement in the arts since 1966.